We're not responsible for their emotions. We are responsible to their emotions, but not for their emotions. And what I mean by this is we're responsible for being careful and kind and loving with people's feelings. But if we are being fair and respectful and kind and loving in our dealings, then we're not responsible for the reaction from our children. We need to allow them to have their feelings. Their feelings are valid. Teach them how to work through the feelings in appropriate ways. And this is how we're responsible to them. We are responsible to teach them how to work through those feelings, to teach them how to be respectful in dealing with their feelings. So like not throwing, not kicking, but it's okay to be upset. It's okay to cry. It's okay to yell, work through it and move through to the other side. We aren't serving them if we don't allow them to have big feelings and learn to deal with those big feelings, to get through to the other side where they know they're okay and they will get better and better at dealing with those. Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50-plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Hello, everyone. So today's question is great because it's giving me the opportunity to break down some of these toddler preschooler discipline tools and talk about why they are sometimes not as effective or effective as we would like or hope or expect them to be. So today's question Hi, Erin. I have been listening to your very informative podcast for months now and have been trying to implement them as much as possible on my first child. It's been my parental guide whenever I feel lost in trying to deal with a behavior or trying to work with her. I have a question, however, as I have run into a bit of a problem. So far, one, two, three magic hasn't really worked on her as she will cry out with rage and refuse to budge even at three. So we end up having to distract her quite a lot sometimes. My child is a month away from two years of age. She loves cracking up, has a very funny personality, and loves making people laugh. On the flip side, she's a determined and highly emotional toddler. She fights and wails to get her way, and although she listens sometimes when we explain things to her, very often she will insist, and we have sometimes modified our ways to suit hers. For example, she started the habit of refusing to eat and sit in her baby chair anymore and wants to sit on our chairs, on our laps, to eat. So to get her to eat, we tweaked. This is not ideal, and what gets more complicated is that my mom, who takes care of her while I'm out at work, gives in to her a lot, so therefore she gets used to the new way of doing things. If we insist on a way, she will say, but I need to make sure she eats. It's hard as we can't make my mom's job of taking care of her tougher than it already is, but we see this trend of her getting her way more and more. Another example is that every time after she comes out of the bath, she'll run around butt naked and she would continually laugh and escape our clutches. I have tried to explain to her before she bathes what would happen and tried one, two, three magic here and avoid chasing her or even reacting, but sometimes we wonder which approach is best to curb this behavior. I hope you can point me in the right direction as we don't want to fall into the downward spiral of spoiling the child. You can also let me know which classes to watch too. Thank you so much for your amazing work. Stay safe and well. Best regards to you and your family. Shireen from Singapore. 
Thank you, Shireen. I hope you're staying safe and well too. We are staying safe and well here so far. <laughs> so I'm gonna break this into two parts because others who care for our kids, particularly family, can definitely add a bit of a dynamic and put a wrench into things. So I'm gonna talk about that separately. It does make things a little harder when kids get away with behaviors with other caregivers, be they grandparents or in situations of divorce and co-parenting in other parents' homes. But if we set up our rules and boundaries and expectations one way, and then they're different with a different caregiver, kids will learn and behave accordingly with each caregiver or within each home. Do they push the boundaries more when they have those different boundaries in a different place? Sure, especially at first, which means needing to be even more resolute. However, before long, they begin to understand this. They behave differently at school than at home, at a restaurant, in the library. Even in those scenarios, we know it takes some coaching and reminding, but we can see with these examples how we can set up different expectations in different environments and with um, different people. With a little guidance, we know they can rise to the expectation. The same goes with being under the supervision of a different caregiver. So deciding how we want things to go under our care first and working on that and knowing that our child is capable of learning how to behave differently in different environments or with different people. So I'm going to step through each of these scenarios. So the first question was about one, two, three magic in some of these scenarios. So I want to get into this first about using one, two, three magic so that it's effective. And this is great timing because I've actually, as you all know, been working on this book with each section, the discipline tools or the topics covered. I share the struggles that I had or ways that I handled things and give examples, how it worked for me, things that I was able to do to make them very effective. So as I was reading through the book for multiple times <laughs> on the edits, I saw an example of one, two, three magic with my twins when they were really little, right around two. And you actually forget these things after a while. So it's really cool that I have this all documented to look back on and remind me. So when I first started using one, two, three magic with my twins, they each had their own way of doing this exact same thing that Shireen is talking about. So the point of one, two, three magic isn't to expect our toddlers to comply right away. They will, but only after we set the boundary and follow through at least at least twice usually, um, sometimes a little, a few more times. That's how they learn that we will follow through on the expectation and boundaries that we set. So once we get to three, we follow through on what we set up. So just a quick rundown of the steps so we all understand how this works step by step. Then I can talk about um, how to fine tune it and make sure that it's effective. So one, two, three magic. Step one, you're going to state the behavior you want your toddler to start or stop. Putting on their shoes, getting dressed, getting into the car, putting the toys away. Step two is setting the boundary and the consequence that will happen if they don't do what you've asked by the time you get to three. I'm going to go on a quick tangent here for a second, and that is you can offer choices first. And I actually recommend this if you have the time, if you can, if it's a situation that um, that lends itself to using choices, definitely start with that. If it's putting toys away, trains or blocks first. Put on music or sing while we put the toys away. If there's something that will help your toddler feel more motivated or get into a fun mood for the task, you want to offer it as part of the choices. For shoes, sandals or sneakers today. Offer choices first. If they don't choose, then you do one, two, three magic. Or if there doesn't feel like a great choice, you can just go straight to one, two, three magic. Now I used it 
a couple of times when it was getting my twins off the dining room table. I remember Chandler climbing up there. I think, I don't think Taylor did that. It was just Chandler. I remember Chandler for sure. He would climb up on the table. I wanted him down right away so he didn't fall and get hurt. This was just like not acceptable. There's not a choice about how you get down. It's just, you need to get down. So I went right to one, two, three magic for that one. So we're doing one, two, three magic. The child's on the table. I would say, I need you to get down off the table before I count to three where I will need to take you off. Now, for some kids, you do this, like I said, a couple times and follow through both times and soon they will just start moving before you even get to three. It got to the point where I would just say, I need you to get off the table and he would just get right down because he knew what was coming. And then pretty soon he's not getting on the table at all. But for others, it may take a little bit longer. Um, depending on how perseverant they are. And they may test you on occasions. They may get down and be doing well, and then a couple weeks later, they'll try it again, especially if they're more persistent, like I said. That's okay. We don't need to expect compliance right away or to expect that once we've done it once or twice, that it's never going to be a problem again. They'll usually test one or two times beyond that. Once they've gotten to the new habit of stop doing it, they might go back and test it just for fun. So they're testing their independence. They're testing us to see if we mean what we say. So this is where we're teaching them about our dynamic. How serious are we? This is setting a foundation for how things will go in this relationship from here forward. We're setting up this foundation of this. When I set a boundary, I mean it. I'm following through. I expect you to comply. So, so right now we're teaching them how much power they have in their refusal. So with both of my twins, they would wait until after three just to see what I would do there. Just push it a little bit. As you're getting to three, you're going to start moving so that by the time you finish three, you are swooping them off the table. You are putting them on your lap to put their shoes on. You are walking them to the car or picking them up and taking to them their car, picking them up and taking them upstairs for bedtime. There is absolutely not even a split second in between. Once you get to three, that is the deadline. And you want to be in place and ready to follow through. Now, the other tip is to be sure to count slowly. You want to leave two to three seconds between your counts. If you count too fast, you aren't giving them an opportunity to think about their choice. Slow and patient is respectful. It gives them time to decide. Otherwise, if we're counting I, I, quickly, I need you to get off the table by the time I count to three or I will have to take you down. One, two, three. And then they're like, wait, what just happened? One second ago, you were making a request and now I'm swooped off the table or getting shoes onto my feet. And I didn't even have a chance to integrate that question. Like they don't even have time to think about what it is you're asking for before they're swooped off the table or they're getting their shoes on. And they need that opportunity to make a choice. So you wanna count slowly, one, two, three, and you're, you're moving on with whatever it is that you ask them to do. So they have enough time to think and make a choice. So with Chandler, once I would follow through, get to three and follow through, he would cry out to me. I, it's so funny that I read this because I wouldn't have remembered. And just the way he would say it, I remember that now. I will listen. <laughs> I will listen. I will listen. But it was too late. He missed his opportunity. So I would simply say to him, I needed you off the table by the time I counted to three. Next time, you need to listen by the time I count to three. You can try again next time. So that's that I will listen. Little tantrum would ensue. But after a few times of following through, he would start to listen right away. He would scramble down off the table. He would go to get his shoes on. Taylor was the same way. 
She would wait till right after three. If I'd tell her it's time to go to bed or to the car and I'd implement one, two, three magic, she would just flat out test me. Like she would look me in the eye and she was challenging me and wait just till after three to start moving. But at that point, I'd already scooped her up and I'm carrying her upstairs or to the car and she's yelling, I'm listening, I'm listening. I want to walk. Too late. So staying calm and following through. I understand you'd like to walk to your room, but I needed you to start moving by three. You waited too long. You can try again tomorrow. She's having a complete tantrum and meltdown. Very persistent child. Now, if I would have said okay and put her down and let her walk the rest of the way, it would have undermined the entire exchange. It really blurs everything. So be ready, follow all the way through and let them try next time. Once you get to three and you have to follow through, Know that you're working on next time. You're not giving any more chances for this time or you're just gonna blur those lines and you're going to make the tool ineffective. They made a choice not to comply this time. So now we're teaching them what we expect and give them an outcome they didn't like and they can use that information to make a different decision the next time. Like I said, after a couple times, most toddlers will make a new choice the next time because they want to do things for themselves. They want to get themselves off the table. Like my daughter, she wanted to walk herself. So that is not fun to have to get carried to your room. A few more persistent ones may need a little more or may comply one or, once or twice and then test again, like I said. Understand this, know you're helping them learn, not just this exchange, but all future exchange changes. Yeah but all future exchanges of what you expect from them. It sets up this dynamic and foundation that when I ask you to do something in a respectful way, we're always respectful with our kids, right? We're going to be respectful, have a respectful exchange, ask in a, a, an expectant tone, in a, an authoritative tone, but not angry, not yelling, not upset, very respectful. But when we do that, I expect you to do what I ask. So long as we're being fair and respectful, we're giving warnings for transitions, we're giving choices when we can, even if we're just going straight to one, two, three magic, if it's something potentially, if it's something potentially dangerous or we really do need to get things moving along, there's no reason to feel guilty about their reaction. We're not responsible for their emotions. We are responsible to their emotions, but not for their emotions. And what I mean by this is we're responsible for being careful and kind and loving with people's feelings. But if we are being fair and respectful and kind and loving in our dealings, then we're not responsible for the reaction from our children. We need to allow them to have their feelings. Their feelings are valid. Teach them how to work through the feelings in appropriate ways. And this is how we're responsible to them. We are responsible to teach them how to work through those feelings, to teach them how to be respectful in dealing with their feelings. So like not throwing, not kicking, but it's okay to be upset. It's okay to cry. It's okay to yell, work through it and move through to the other side. We aren't serving them if we don't allow them to have big feelings and learn to deal with those big feelings, to get through to the other side where they know they're okay and they will get better and better at dealing with those and understanding that they aren't always going to get their way. They will get better and better at handling that. This is a skill we all need to learn to face adversity and be be in our uncomfortable feelings and work through them. 
We need opportunities to do that. They need opportunities to do that. And it's best if they get those opportunities with us, the people who love them the most and can allow their feelings in a safe space. We can support them through their feelings when they need it, teach them how to move through them to the other side of those feelings back to a place of more calm. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA-14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners. Ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than HomeThreads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. HomeThreads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look and some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com parenting parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home threads. Love where you live. So for bath time, this is simply a matter of being ready. I think a lot of these are just a matter of being ready to follow through. So once we know of a known issue, we're gonna set up a plan to be ready. This is something I've heard from many parents, this bedtime thing of after bath time or at bedtime, this running amok, refusing to get ready. So we want to be in a position to make sure that our toddler complies, where they don't have an opportunity to run amok. Have the bathroom door closed, get them out of the bathroom, wrap them in a towel right away, hands on shoulders. 
walked them to the room, carried them to the room if necessary, or remained in the bathroom to dry off with the, either the door closed or the adult between the child and the door. So there's no opportunity to escape the bathroom. Same with the bedroom. I've had parents say the same thing about bedtime where they start running around and they run out the door. Well, if you're standing there in the doorway, they can't get past you. We're not being mean. We're not, you know, manhandling them, but we are setting a boundary, setting from that escape route. It's time for bed. I need you to get ready for bed. We're not leaving the room. We're just sending the message that we are in charge and it is time to dry off. It's time to get dressed for bed. We aren't providing an opportunity for these shenanigans. Now, they may have big feelings about this, especially if this is a new way of doing things, and that's okay. Connect with their emotions, but verbalize the boundary. I know you're frustrated because you want to run around, but it's bedtime. We're getting ready for bed now. Tomorrow, we will have more time for play. And then you can even engage them in a way to get them thinking about that. What types of things would you like to do tomorrow? I would like to do something fun with you tomorrow. What would you like to do together? And then pull it back together to that connection. The same thing goes for any other area. You're gonna set the boundaries. So we're gonna talk about the meal times. You may not be able to physically keep her in her chair. So figure out how you want meal times to go and then start from there. And I think a good starting point could be she doesn't have to stay in her seat, but she doesn't get to sit on her, your laps to eat either. So you, can, you can't really force a child to stay in their seat. I know you can kind of strap them in, but if they're screaming and wiggling and you know, and they're just not having it, it's just unpleasant for everyone. So it's okay to let her out of her seat at that point. Now, you can either have a coaching session before dinner, explain how this is gonna go going forward, that food is eaten at the table. As soon as you want to leave your seat, dinner time is over. So if she wants to participate in the meal, she needs to be sitting in her seat. The other option is you can move to something a little more freeing, like a booster seat or something a little less restrictive than a high chair, if that's what you're still using. I think that's what you said. If not, that's fine. But this way, she gets to be up high at the table. You still can strap her in for safety, but allow her down when she's getting too antsy. Now, for most toddlers, they eat pretty quickly, and we're lucky to keep most two-year-olds at the table for much more than 15 minutes. This will stretch out over time. Food is one of those areas that toddlers learn very quickly how to take power if we let them. The moment they see that food has power, they will quickly learn to refuse to eat if we make it a big deal and we start making allowances for that. They won't starve if they miss a meal. They will be hungry, but that's okay. If it's breakfast or lunch, you can simply let her know that this is the only food until the next meal, and then you're gonna stick with it. If it's dinner, you can offer later, um, you know, an hour later, I'm not sure how much time you have between bedtime and, I mean, between dinner and bedtime, so you can kind of gauge that, but if it's an hour later and you wanna get this done, you know, before the bedtime routine, but you know, 45 minutes later, an hour later, you can offer what you had for dinner under the same rules that she has to sit at the table in her seat, or you can offer a small healthy snack, love some fruits and or veggies, something just small to tide her over till the morning, but letting her know that this is just the rule for mealtimes that we set at the table in our seat when it's time to eat. When it comes to grandma, like I said, there's not a lot you can do. You can ask her to follow your rules, 
But it's common for this to be an issue in a lot of families with grandparents who have more lax rules than parents or different types of ways of doing things. So you can have your rules and follow them together when it's your immediate family. It will make it a little bit harder for you, especially at first, but your toddler will learn that there will be different rules with parents than with grandparents. So unless you're going to start some sort of preschool or get a different care provider who's paid, you can ask your mom to follow the rules, but if she won't, you kind of have to take the help as it comes and be grateful. And then, you know, I'm not sure if or when you're going to start preschool, but once she has a different daytime care provider, then it will no longer be an issue. And because you have those rules at home, she'll easily settle in at school to whatever the rules are for that. For more details and pitfalls to avoid, 123Magic or any of the discipline tools for toddlers. And actually, 123Magic is part of the class discipline tools for toddlers. There's the class on avoiding power struggles and getting kids, and getting kids to listen. So I would recommend any of those for learning to set some good boundaries, some good, um, you know, when to, when to set a solid boundary and when to allow your child to have more freedom and how to set that up. That's in the power struggles class, as well as getting kids to listen. So those are great for these types of scenarios. All of the 60 plus parenting classes on demand are available at the website, yourvillageonline.com. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week. <laughs>